Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore the Christian faith, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into the Word of God. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. Man, what a joy it is to be together. Uh, it is um, always one of my favorite Sundays that we get to come together on the stories of Thanksgiving uh, because there are so much to be grateful for. Now, I've always been uh, what I like to call a glass half full kind of guy. Uh, I uh, love to look on the bright side of life. A number of years ago, I took this test called Strengths Finder, and some of you may have taken that test before, and it came back unequivocally that my number one strength was positivity. And uh, you may wonder, does Pastor Jason ever get frustrated? Do I ever get down in the dumps? I'm just going to let you ponder that a little bit longer. Uh, the answer to that is absolutely. I'm not always a grateful person. I don't always see the bright side of things. I still struggle to be grateful from time to time, but this is what I have learned in my life, and maybe you've learned this as well, that in my heart, I know the importance of gratitude and thanksgiving, and I know that it uh, catapults us into a level of faith and understanding that we've never experienced before. And so because of that, I try to be mindful and grateful in my heart of all the things that are happening at all times and in all things. And I hope and pray that you do as well. And so this morning is about expressing that gratitude and thanking God for what he has done. There's a fantastic quote from G.K. Chesterton, who is a pretty well-known uh, theologian, has, is so rich in a faith tradition. And he says, and I quote, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. And I love this quotation. He says, one of the critical things in life is, do you take things for granted or do you take them with gratitude? The psalmist in Psalm 50, verse 23, affirms this at an even stronger level. When he says, those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me. This is the psalmist saying, if you have a heart of thanksgiving, if you have that sacrifice of thanksgiving, that thank offering to God, that heart of gratitude to God, it is the way, one of the ways that we show honor to God. There's something about living a life where I say, I don't want to take things for granted, but I want to live with gratitude. That is a powerful moment of worship. And it opens up the floodgates for me to experience all that God has in store for me. But there's also what I call a lack of thanksgiving and a lack of gratitude and a lack of thankfulness in our life that will hamper us from experiencing all that God desires to do. A number of years ago, I uh, stumbled upon this tweet, and I honestly didn't write down who it was from, so do not tweet this as me, because I did not say this. I don't know who the original author is, but it was so powerful to me, and I've, I've actually referenced it a few times in sermons before, but I can't take credit for it. And this is what the tweet read. If I stop to think about it, some of the very things I might not ever express gratitude to God for are the very things someone in my community is wishing they had or wishing that they prayed for. If I'm not careful, sometimes the very things that I take for granted are the things that someone in this room might wish that they had or in our community, something that someone is praying for. So today, we stop for a moment to simply express gratitude to God for all that he has done through our stories of thanksgiving. We don't want to take those things for granted. And so we're going to take some time this morning to hear more stories at the end of our service to celebrate communion together, to stop and reflect on what we are truly most grateful for. And so with that said, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Psalm 100 and to Psalm 150. We have two fantastic psalms that I want 
want us to unpack this morning. Uh, Psalm 100 and Psalm 150. And I'm going to read them back to back with you, starting in Psalm 100. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. You can follow along on your mobile device as well. In Psalm 100, verse 1, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. Uh, We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And then in Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. See, Psalm 100 says that it is the Lord who is God, it's the Lord who is good, and he has made us, and we are the sheep of his pasture. And the psalmist says, because we are the sheep of his pasture, we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving, and we are to enter his courts with praise. Why? Because he is good. He is our shepherd who takes care of us like a helpless sheep. And then if you go all the way to the end of Psalms, in Psalm 150, we're reminded to praise him for everything. I am to praise him for the stars. I am to praise him for his power. I am to praise him with clanging cymbals. You parents that have four-year-olds at the house that have clanging cymbals know that that's a sacrifice of praise that they are bringing to the Lord. Just keep telling yourself that. If I have breath... If you have breath, which you do, check your pulse real quick. If you have breath this morning, you should be praising the Lord. I'm to enter his gates with thanksgiving, and if I have breath, I'm to praise him. I'm to enter his gates with thanksgiving, and if I have breath, I am to praise him. Maybe you're searching for that deep, elusive will of God for your life. Know that it's right here in Scripture. In fact, what better marching orders could we unpack than living a life of thanksgiving and a life of praise? being a thankful person who praises God at all times. And so I want to give you a moment this morning to put this into practice. Because today's a little bit different. If you picked up a worship guide on your way in, which I hope that you did, you'll notice on the back part of that that it's blank today. And it's blank for a reason. Because here's what I want you to do. For just a minute, I'm going to give you about 45 seconds to do this. And hopefully you have a pen. And if not, uh, then you can just make a note in your phone, whatever the case might be. But I want you to write down five things in your life that you're thankful for. Five things in your life that you're thankful for, and I, and I want you to be as specific as possible. And the tech guys in the back, they're going to give me some thankful writing down music, uh, and so maybe that'll help you a little bit. So for just a few seconds, I want you to take some time and write down five things that you're thankful to God for today, or make a note in your phone. Ready, set, go.
some of you have three, and some of you made it all the way to seven or eight. But wherever you landed on that, what I hope happened in that moment is something that can be expressed by gratitude. Because what happened inside of you when I asked you slash forced you to come up with things that you are thankful for? Probably what happened in you is you had 45 seconds where you weren't anxious. You had 45 seconds when you weren't worried. You had 45 seconds when you weren't stressed. Because what did you do? You listed out all kinds of things that have made your life better. You've listed out things that have been praiseworthy. And all of a sudden, we go back to Scripture and we realize I'm to enter His gates with thanksgiving, and I'm, if I have breath, I am to praise Him. It helps us to lead to that point when we realize that gratitude ultimately leads to praise, doesn't it? Gratitude leads to praise. It's what life is really all about. It's why Psalm 50 says it's a thank offering to God to offer Him gratitude for what He has done. When I stop to thank God for salvation, for example which if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I I hope that that was something on your list to stop and thank God for the salvation that he has offered you through Jesus Christ, that God did for you through Jesus Christ what you could not do for yourself. When I take a moment to thank God for what he has done, I am thanking God for sending Jesus. And I'm thanking God for doing for me what I'm incapable of doing. And when I thank God for that, and when I thank God for him giving his one and only son, what happens? It leads me to have more gratitude. And it leads me to have more gratitude, which leads me to praise, meaning that praise accomplishes something that can't happen if I don't have gratitude. There's thankfulness that happens in my life that accomplishes something that would never happen if I seek to live a life of not being grateful or or always taking things for granted. Now, gratitude accomplishes so much. And in the essence of time, we can't unpack everything that gratitude does. But what else does gratitude accomplish in my life? What else does it accomplish in your life? Well, for starters, I think gratitude helps us remember the faithfulness of God, doesn't it? Gratitude helps us remember the faithfulness of God because when you stop to think about all that God has done and when you thank him for all of the ways that he has carried you, it speaks to that promise that he will do it again. And this concept is all over the Old Testament, for example. You may be familiar with the story of the Israelites, where God brought the Israelites out of captivity, out of Egypt, into a promised land. And they were encouraged to remember that, to remember what God had done. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, for example, one of the many examples, where they're instructed, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in wilderness for these 40 years, to humble and test you in order to know that what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. See, that journey that the Israelites were on, it it was to test them, and it was to see the status of their heart and whether they would keep the commands of God. They were instructed to remember those moments, and I think it would help all of us tremendously to do the same, because what were the Israelites instructed to remember? They were instructed to remember those times when God parted the sea so that they could walk through on dry land when the enemies were pursuing them at their backs. They were instructed to remember how God provided for them a pillar of fire by night to guide them. They were instructed to remember how God provided food and water in a desert, which if you have been to a desert recently, there is a lack of abundance of both of those. And in the midst of that season, God provided for them in a way that didn't even seem naturally possible. This is powerful stuff. And that's why gratitude and remembrance is so important, because we remember the faithfulness of God. But something else that happens in our life when we seek to move towards gratitude is it serves as a great reminder for us that God is in control and that we are not in control. 
which all of us need to be moving closer and closer to. See, gratitude always speaks to the sovereignty of God. Psalm 139.16 says that your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days were ordained for me and were written in your book before a single one of them came to be. Meaning that there's nothing in your life that's accidental. There's nothing in your life that didn't happen for a reason, including the things that you're excited about and including the challenges. Now, if I ask you to go back and look at the list of five things that you wrote down, I'm just curious if anybody wrote down five challenges. Did anybody write down five struggles that they have gone through in the last year? That is not what I chose to write down on my list as well. See, we're probably not as quick to put those things in writing as some of the other things that we are thankful for. But yet we can't diminish the fact that this is huge, that it's not enough just to be grateful for the things that I'm happy about. But I have to be grateful for those moments where I'm confused as well. And I have to be grateful for even the struggles and the challenges that I go through. God was instructing the Israelites to remember what they had been brought from, to remember those dark seasons, to remember that no matter how heavy it might seem, that God is there. Sometimes we operate from a perspective of, if I'm happy about it, I'll be grateful for it. Whereas God's economy says, no, we have to be thankful and grateful in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, it's probably uh, two of the most uh, informative verses about this where Paul writes to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in, you hear it, all circumstances. Not just to give thanks in the circumstances that make me happy, or not to just give thanks in the circumstances that I even agree with. In fact, Paul wrote many of his letters to churches from prisons. And there was this underbelly of joy and being content in all circumstances written from a place of really dark, disparaging moments. And sometimes we're really quick to say, yeah, Pastor Jason, I'll be grateful, but I'll be even more grateful when things start to align the way that I want them to. Sometimes we'll have a a moment where we'll say, you know what, I'll be thankful for my house, when my house is nicer. But let me ask you a question. If you have a home, is it keeping you warm right now? Is it keeping you cool in the summer? And is it keeping you relatively dry when it rains? If it checks all those boxes, guess what? It's doing what it was meant to do. It has accomplished something, meaning instead of despising it, I can be more grateful for it. Sometimes we'll say, you know what? I'm going to be more thankful for my job when I get a better job. You're going to hear a story this morning about the importance of blooming where you are planted here in just a little bit. Or maybe we'll say, I'm going to be more thankful for my life when my life looks more like I think it should look. Whereas God says his will is for me to rejoice and to pray and to be thankful in all circumstances, in and through it all. I want you to hear this morning from a dear friend in the life of our church, and I'm going to invite her out. Her name is Cheryl Riley, and Miss Cheryl Riley is truly uh, one of the um, most amazing people that I know. I'm going to give you a hug because I haven't had a chance to talk to you this morning. Yeah, yeah, great. Have a seat. Uh, I want you guys to welcome Miss Cheryl. I I appreciate her so much. And um, Cheryl um, is truly one of my heroes, and uh, her and her husband, Lynn, are two of the finest people that I have ever met, and uh, they serve so faithfully in the life of our church, and um, 
about every other week, I meet somebody who's new to the church, and they will, I'll say, oh, I heard you about Rolling Hills. I met this lady named Cheryl Riley, and I mean, she is just the epitome of, like, of serving, servanthood and, and, and humility. Uh, and so, uh, Cheryl, I, I just want you to, you know, just take up 30 seconds, and just for those of you that you haven't met, tell us about yourself, your family, uh, and then we'll ask you a few more questions about gratitude. Well, first of all, I want to give a shout out. These kids along the wall and Matthew in the back, they are not here just to hear me this morning, but this is my little support group. They're my Sunday school class, and they're in here today to listen to me speak, but they're over there praying for me that what I say will touch your heart as a word from God. Isn't that cool? I am Cheryl Riley. My husband's name is Lynn. I'm sure many more of you know Lynn than you know me, probably, because he gets around and he knows everybody and he doesn't meet a stranger. And he will remember you. He'll remember your stories. He'll remember everything you tell him about your sports teams and especially the places you like to eat because he loves to talk about food. I have two daughters. Melissa is in this church. And she does a lot at Rolling Hills, uh, serves a lot, and I'm very proud of her. She's also a teacher at Nolansville High School and teaches uh, math there. And then I have Lindsay and her husband, Joshua. And they are the parents of my two precious grandchildren, May and Abram. Abram is six years old, and May is four. So we have a very exciting life. That's awesome. Tell us real briefly, Cheryl, about... Um, how you came to faith in Christ and why outreach and why being thankful for that is something that's important to you. Well, I'm sure when you listed your things you're thankful for that Jesus was on that list somewhere. But I want to tell you, when I was a little bitty girl, I was not growing up in a Christian home. And I know that your testimony may have been that you always grew up in a Christian home. But my parents didn't find Christ when they were little. They didn't find Christ when they were teenagers. And they grew up in some really hard times and some really rough situations. And I'm giving you the Reader's Digest story of this. If you ever want to hear the full story, I'll be glad to come talk to you about it. But uh, because of that, neither one of my parents were Christians. So when my brother and I were born, we didn't go to church when we were little. We saw lots of people in our neighborhood going to church. We saw lots of people in our neighborhood that did active things with their children at church, but we didn't understand it because we had never been there. So one day when I was a little girl, I at, well, let me tell you this. My mom and dad were great parents as far as supporting our activities, uh, taking us places. Daddy would take us swimming. We did fun family things together, but it's different when you don't know the Lord. It's different when you're not being raised that way. And they also were the kind of parents that always did things with us. They never just sent us somewhere, but we were probably the most important things in their life at that time. We asked Dad. We asked, I asked my mom one day. I said, Mom, why don't, why don't we go to church? And she said, oh, well, why do you ask that? And I said, well... I don't know, but I think they do lots of fun things there because the kids had told me at their church they got cookies and Kool-Aid. 
And they also told me that in VBS, which I didn't have a clue what that was, that they got to make crafts. So as a little five, six-year-old girl, that sounded like a blast to me. That sounded really fun. So I asked mom if we could go to church, and she said, well, I don't know. Let me talk to your dad about that. My parents had met partying in a bar, so it wasn't their um, usual activity to get up early on a Sunday morning and go to church, but she told my dad, I think we ought to go to church and take the kids to church, and he said, why? And she said, well, I just think that's what good parents do. And so he said, well, we could try it once. So we went to church. My dad loved softball. He loved baseball. He was really good. He got asked even when he was in high school to come and uh, play with the minors and to train to be a major league player, and he turned it down because he couldn't leave the farm. But he had played uh, softball and baseball in the Navy, and he was a really good player. So when we went to church that Sunday, one of the men in the church said, Marvin, would you like to play softball with us? And he said, you have a team? And they said, yeah. And he said, yeah, I would. And they said, well, here's the deal. We can't just bring you in because it would be like bringing in a ringer, you know, like just to win all the games. It's a church league softball team, so you would ha actually have to come to church. And he said, oh, well, how much do I have to go? And they said, well, could you do an hour, like either Sunday morning or Sunday night or we even Wednesday night? He said, yeah, I think I could do an hour. He said, just once a week? And they said, yeah. He said, okay, I'm there. So I'm going to tell you guys, we went to church, but we did our hour, and we were out of there. We went home. And so we were the baseball family. We didn't have any idea that we were going to church for Jesus or even that he was looking for us or seeking us out. So then one day, we missed morning church, but we still had to do our hours, so we decided to go that night. They had a testimony service that night, and people were standing up all over that church telling what the Lord had done for them and how they had come out of sin and how God had healed them and how he had helped them with their problems. And Dad's, he said his first thought was, why are all of these people saying these things? Like, they don't even get paid to say this. He said his second thought was, man, I'd never tell all my dirty laundry in front of all these people, this huge crowd. It was probably about... 40 people there to 70 people. He said the third thing he thought was, Marvin Smith, these people have something you don't have. I wish I had it. He was holding my little brother. Reggie had fallen asleep in his arms. And it was a little Methodist church, and he said he wanted so bad to go down to that altar and pray. But he said the minute that thought hit his head, he started thinking, what you going to do when you get down there? You don't know how to pray. What if the preacher asks you a question? What are you going to say? You don't know the answer to any Bible questions. All these people are going to look at you when that kid wakes up and starts screaming. So he said he thought of every excuse not to go down. And as soon as church was over, he hit that back door. And he said as he walked out the door that God spoke to his heart and said, well, Marvin Smith, you got away from God one more time, didn't you? 
So we went home that night, but that must have been a powerful service because my mom went home and started reading the Bible. And she started crying, and at 2 a.m., she woke my parents up, and she said, she went in and woke my dad up, and she said, Marvin, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm crying, I'm shaking, I don't know if I'm sick, I don't know if I'm scared, I was reading the Bible, and now I can't get control of myself. And he said, I think I know what's wrong. And she said, what's wrong? He said, I felt the same way in church tonight. He said, I think if either one of us died, we'd go straight to hell. And she said, well, that's not good. (laughs) She said, well, it's 2 a.m. We can't call anybody. What are we going to do with ourselves? And he said, well, let's just get up. We're already up. Let's just, just get up. So they went in their living room. They sat on the sofa for a little while. And then they decided they would kneel down together in front of the sofa and pray. And neither one of them knew how to pray. So this is what they said to God. They said, God... We know we don't deserve you because we've lived terrible lives. But if you'll have us, we'll sure have you. Y'all, something happened that night that changed the course of our whole family. My parents became radical Christians. We hit the doors of the church every time the doors were open. They were so hungry for God. My mom started reading her Bible. She started teaching me the stories as she went because she didn't know the Bible stories. She told me the story of Solomon and how he asked for wisdom above all things to be able to guide the people in the ways of God and to understand his word. And so I prayed that night as a little girl, and I said, God, I don't want fame. I don't want riches. I want wisdom to be able to understand your word. I was six years old when I prayed that prayer. Then in Sunday school, we were learning the Beatitudes, memorizing those little verses. And I prayed to God and said, God, please give me a pure heart because I want to see you and make me a peacemaker so I'll be called your child. And I did that because some Sunday school teacher helped me memorize those verses as as a little bitty girl. My brother became a minister at age 15. God called him out to preach for God. My dad became a minister in his 40s and became a bivocational pastor. And that man that would never share his dirty laundry in front of that huge crowd was anxious to tell everybody about his life in Christ. My parents are dead now. But I'm going to tell you, they're sitting with me right today because they're always in my heart. And the legacy that my parents left me is one of the most powerful things that I'm thankful for today. Because it's something that can never, ever be taken away from me. He left us a legacy of faith for our whole family. And that promise is traveling down through the generations. I've seen it happen in my girls. And it's a promise for the family, not just for me, not just for my parents. It was our family promise that God would save us and he would take care of us forever. What a great story. I mean, um, 
Thank you, Ms. Cheryl. And just one, one, one more quick thing, because you commented about there was something you said your dad, he saw something that, that, that they, other people had that he didn't have. And I think I see something in you that I want to strive more for in more, my life, and that is you have gratitude regardless of how positive or negative things are going. And you've been through a tough year. You've had some pretty severe health scares this year. So I'd just love for you to share, how are you able to have gratitude even, in, even, in the, even when the circumstances aren't awesome? I'm 68 years old, so I've seen a lot of life, and I've been through a lot of things. I want to tell you that I've been through the teenage heartaches that you go through. I've been, I've been through illnesses. I've been through losing my little nephew at the age of six years old to leukemia. I've lost my parents over the years, so I know what it's like to lose a parent. Don't know what it's like to lose a spouse yet, but that day will come one day. We, Lynn and I have been through financial hardships together. We've been through the time where Lynn lost his job and was without a job many months, and we really had to rely on God. So many things I could share with you of the miracles I've seen and the things. One of the hardest seasons I went through is when I had cancer. But again, I'd watch my dad go through cancer. He had told God, I never want to have, God, I'll, I'll go through anything, but please don't ever let me have cancer. And lo and behold, he got cancer. But God gave him a verse, and it said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so my dad would get us to take him to the mall, and he would, he would sit on one of those benches in the mall while we shopped and had fun. And he would wait to see who God would send to sit by him. Then he would strike up a conversation about his cancer. And he said, nobody is ever going to tell a man with cancer they don't want to hear about God or heaven. How rude that would be. So he would transition from cancer into God and tell them all about God. And so I remembered that when I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to lose all of my hair, and people are going to ask me if I have cancer. And I'm going to do what Daddy did, and I'm going to turn that into a blessing and a testimony for God. And it became, I got to tell so many more people about God than in my regular walk of life that that became a season of joy in my life. And I was almost, this is going to sound so stupid, but I was almost sad to get my hair back because I knew people were going to stop asking. And then I'd have to find another way to get into the conversation. But even that was a blessing in my life. This year, um, fell out and was diagnosed with epilepsy. I don't know why I have epilepsy right now. I do know that I have the greatest chauffeur in the world. Lynn Riley drives me everywhere because when you fall out with epilepsy, they don't let you drive for six months. Well, my sentence is almost over. Well, I should say it's Lynn's sentence because that's almost over. But I don't know what the next steps will be. I know as you get older that you're not as healthy and you're not as stable. And I had to walk up the ramp. I couldn't walk up these steps in front of everybody. So God slows you down a little bit. I think it's to humble you before you pass over to the other side. But anyway, 
everything I've gone through, I'm going to tell you, God has walked with me every step. He never left me. He never let me lose my joy. He gave me strength and power through the hardest of things. And I just rejoice in that. And I know people sometimes, I've heard so many people ask me and ask other people, why does God let that happen to a Christian? Or to my good grandma who never hurt anybody. Or, you know, why does that happen to me? Well, why not us? Why not us? He's going to walk through us, with us, through everything. And it gives us compassion and love for other people and understanding. And if we had to sit there and talk to uh, to people who are going through these things and we've never been through them before, then we couldn't tell them how good God is. We couldn't tell him how faithful he is and how there's another side. You get over the hump to the other side. Or like Daddy said, he takes you home and then you're with Christ. So that verse is my verse too. Amen. Thank you again, Miss Cheryl. You can take that back there. David will pick it up for it. Thank you so much. Uh, note to self, um, when I have to be out of town, I'm going to have Cheryl come and preach for us. Um, <laughs> But what did you hear in Cheryl's story? I heard a lot, and this is what I heard in Cheryl's story. She said, gratitude changes your perspective, doesn't it? Gratitude changes your perspective. Gratitude changes the way that I view my circumstances. So I don't know about you. I don't know what needs to change in your life. But I know in my life, when I evaluate it, there are some things that I've been taking for granted. And there are some things that um, I need to stop taking for granted and rather to be grateful for. And so if you want to grow to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ, I believe that it's gratitude that aligns you. It's gratitude that helps you make that transition. It's gratitude that helps you move in that direction. And so in this year ahead, I challenge you to take that step, to say, you know what, my go-to is always going to be gratitude instead of anxiety. My go-to is always going to be thanksgiving instead of stressing out. And this morning, we want to express our thanksgiving, and we want to express our gratitude to God for all that he has done by continuing in our time of worship, by celebrating communion. And I can't think of a better way for us to respond to a God who loves us than coming to these tables and taking uh, the bread and taking the cup to represent his body that was broken and his blood that was shed so that we could have life. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And the band's going to make their way back out, and we're going to conclude our service today um, by um, celebrating from the Lord's table. And this invitation this morning is um, for you, uh, directly from Jesus himself. This is not an invitation from Rolling Hills. Um, This is an invitation from Jesus himself to remember the sacrifice, to remember his body that was broken, and to remember his blood that was shed so that you could have life. And so I ask that if you have sin in your life this morning, that you would confess that to the Lord and that you would um, just take a moment to make your heart in the right place. Um, And here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to these tables. There's two tables at the front of the room. And this morning, it's going to look a little bit differently. As you feel led to come, then you can actually just walk up to the table and you can pick up these elements and you can take them back to your seat. And as you feel led, go ahead and participate in this beautiful act of worship. And you do this in remembrance of him. You eat that bread to represent the body of Christ that's broken and you drink from that cup to represent his blood that was shed. And so as 
you feel led this morning and if you want to participate, just come and pick up these elements, take them back to your seat, and just have a moment to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to celebrate what it is that He has done. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on a single sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Church Center app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in.